Production made possible in part by MedPlus Advantage. You're listening to Radio Rounds, a talk show created and hosted by physicians in training, where today's stories are told by tomorrow's doctors. I'm Dr. Eddie Breyercheck. Today on Radio Rounds, host Dr. Lakshman Swami will discuss the nature of compassion in healthcare with Dr. Beth Lone, a practicing internist in Boston and associate professor at Harvard Medical School. She's also the medical director for the Schwartz Center for Compassionate Healthcare. The Schwartz Center was established in 1995 at the bequest of healthcare attorney Ken Schwartz after his battle with lung cancer. His experiences led him to appreciate the critical importance of compassion in an increasingly industrialized healthcare system. Since then, the Schwartz Center has worked to improve caregiver communication, promote empathy and spiritual care, all while empowering patients and their families. One example of the center's work is seen at the over 350 healthcare facilities in the U.S. and 60 in the U.K. that have adopted Schwartz Rounds, an opportunity to openly and honestly discuss the social and emotional issues we face in caring for patients and their families. In contrast to traditional medical rounds, the focus here is on the human dimension of medicine. In this first part of our series with Dr. Beth Lone, we'll discuss the meaning of compassion and how it may relate to provider burnout. But I should tell you, you know, we actually did a nationally representative survey of, uh, we did random digit dialing of over 10,000 households in the U.S. to get a sample of about 110 recently hospitalized patients who were able to answer our questions. And we asked them, do you think the U.S. healthcare system actually supplies compassionate care? And about half of them said no. And we also said, do you think most healthcare professionals provide compassionate care? 46% of patients said no, but only 22% of physicians said no. So I actually think we have a little bit of a disconnect between what patients think they're receiving and what physicians think they're providing. More from Dr. Beth Lone, Medical Director for the Schwartz Center for Compassionate Healthcare, right now on Radio Rounds. Welcome to Radio Rounds, everyone. I'm Lakshman Swami, and I'm here in the north end of Boston at the Schwartz Center for Compassionate Healthcare. Sitting across the table from me is Dr. Beth Lown, the medical director for the Schwartz Center. Some of you may have uh, heard of the Schwartz Center. You may have participated in uh, the Schwartz Rounds, which are at, I think, now over 350 hospitals and institutions across the country. So, But if you haven't, and even if you have, uh, I think lots of great things to talk about about compassion and healthcare definitely resonates with our mission here at Radio Rounds. Uh, Dr. Lown, Beth, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course. It's, it's, a, it's our pleasure. So, Beth... Let's take a second and first just talk about compassionate healthcare in general. Mm-hmm. It may sound kind of silly, but why is this something even that we need to talk about? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, let me define what I think it is, because a lot of people think about compassion in ways that might be different from what we think it might be. And so we've crafted a definition that really comes from research on cognitive psychology and the new emerging social neuroscience of empathy and compassion. So here's a long-winded definition, and then I'll shortcut it. But the long-winded definition is that compassion and compassion, compassionate care is really all about recognizing, acknowledging, 
trying to understand and emotionally resonating with the concerns, the distress, the pain, the suffering of others, coupled with motivation and relational action to address these conditions. A shortcut way to think about it is recognizing and responding to concerns, pain, distress, and suffering. So that is a little bit different. It may be considered a subsection of patient and family center of care, a relationship-based care, whatever you want to call it. It's a type of care that really reflects the humanity of healthcare, uh, the affective, the relational components of healthcare that I think are being a little bit marginalized, maybe more than a little bit marginalized as we strive for effectiveness, efficiency, fast throughput, emphasizing patient outcomes, sometimes without thinking, well, these outcomes actually are important to patients and families as well. And that happens to be things like emotional well-being, functional quality of life, and things like that. So that's our focus. It's uh, really on the relational, the affect of the emotional, psychological, social aspects of care. And, you know, I think if you ask people who haven't interacted much with the healthcare system, my experience has been that they think that this is what it's like, that people are, you know, generally delivering that kind of care. But certainly even in my own family, when you talk to a lot of people who've gone to see any kind of, received any kind of healthcare in the past couple of years, there's a lot of times where you feel like they don't really know who I am. It, It almost feels like I'm taking my car to the shop, but that this is not my car. Yeah, I think that is a perception that is true or shared at least by a lot of people, particularly in hospitals. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons why that is happening. But I I should tell you, you know, we actually did a nationally representative survey of, uh, we did random digit dialing of over 10,000 households in the U.S. to get a sample of about 110 recently hospitalized patients who were able to answer our questions. And we asked them, do you think the U.S. healthcare system actually supplies compassionate care? And about half of them said no. And we also said, do you think most healthcare professionals provide compassionate care? 46% of patients said no, but only 22% of physicians said no. So I actually think we have a little bit of a disconnect between what patients think they're receiving and what physicians think they're providing. And we need to think about that. What does this mean? Part of what I'm thinking as you're saying this is that patients want this, but I think to a great degree, probably providers want it too. Oh, I totally agree with you. You know, I have to say that I taught in our patient doctor course for a really long time, well over a decade at, at my medical school, Harvard Medical School. And I can tell you that every student, I, I can't think of a single student who didn't come in wanting to form meaningful connections with people and to be of service. I mean, there's a profound sense of commitment that people come into the profession with. That's why they go into it. It's not just medical school, it's nursing students, everybody. People are drawn to the profession because they want to be of help. And I think that that, you know, tends to change over time, and in particular when people enter their clinical rotations. There's been research on that, too, as you know. I'm sure you've interviewed people who've discussed the erosion of empathy in the clinical years and so forth. So real challenges, why is it happening, and how can we change that trend if it's true? You know, what is it that's going on that people are seeing? And I think that a lot of um, a lot of us in the field who have gone through that those stages of our training have felt that and have mm-hmm. been changed by it mm-hmm. to some degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what's really exciting is that sitting here, 
we can talk about what we can do to fix it yeah. and what we can do to make it better. Yeah. You know, I've been thinking a lot about this. I, I'm, I, um, I was given 20 minutes to give a talk about compassion, compassion and care, and it really focuses you <laughs> if you have to just talk for a very short period of time. And one thing I was thinking about is well, what actually happens? And I was thinking back to anatomy lab, you know, and I think the very first skill that I ever learned was compartmentalization. That's the first medical skill I ever learned. And, uh, you know, you learn it as soon as you pick up a scalpel mm-hmm. and you have to dissect you mean a cadaver. Well, we did emotional that. Compa- compa- yeah, compa- emotional compartmentalization. You have to set aside what you're feeling and focus on the cognitive task at hand. And that continues, right? Mm-hmm. All three medical training. And no one teaches us. How do I make that a semi-permeable membrane mm-hmm. so it's not completely walled off from the rest of me? And how do I regulate and gate the amount of emotions that I'm actually experiencing so I don't become dehumanized, so I don't start treating people as objects, depersonalizing sure. people? No one has ever taught me that. I don't know if you get any of that training now in medical school, but I doubt it. You know, I think a, I think a lot of schools are I think a lot of schools are, and residency programs are recognizing this problem, mm-hmm. but it's still a challenge because, to a degree, all the teaching you give someone is still kind of facing this the immense challenges of what actually happens when you're going through training the, yeah. and the the intense push for yep. speed and and all of this. It's really hard. It is really hard. I think uh, there's another thing that happens though. You know, I've, I'm sort of of two minds about time. I think really complex and deep understanding takes time. You know, I'm a primary care physician by training. And the kind of knowledge, deep knowledge of a person, who they are, who their family is, what they really think and feel, who's mm-hmm. important to them, all of that stuff, that takes time, and that takes relationship building over time. You know, we have kind of the luxury of that in the ambulatory setting that sure. you don't have in the hospital setting. But on the other hand, I've heard so many stories, you know, during the short center rounds and from friends and colleagues about instant compassion and empathy. You know, the human mind has the ability to recognize distress. I mean, it's, it's hardwired. It's, it's kind of how we survived as a species. And um, we can open that part of our brains. And many people do that in a second. You recognize something, and you respond. Mm-hmm. And it only takes a minute to make that kind of connection. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a story Ken Schwartz tells. I don't know if you said There's a lot of stories in, mm-hmm. in Ken's article that was in the Boston Globe magazine before he died. It was July, published July 1995. And there's one story that I always remember. It just made an impression on me about him going in for his screening. You know, not his screening. Yeah, no, his pre-op screening before he had his lung biopsies after this right. mass was discovered. And this nurse is, you know, in this intake area, and she's doing her checklist. And she's not really paying very much attention to him. It's kind of brusque, and the place was noisy and crowded, until he happened to mention that he had just learned he had advanced lung cancer. And the nurse clearly heard something in his voice, put down her paper, looked at his face and his eyes, must have seen, you know, who knows what, fear, sadness, anxiety, And stopped and just said, how are you doing, you know? And they formed within a second a connection. She mm-hmm. came down looking for him the next day when he was just about to go into the OR to be biopsy, just to hold his hand, sit yeah. next to him for a few minutes. You know, how much time does that take? That takes seconds. 
So I'm of two minds because I think it can happen in seconds, but I think deep, deep knowledge, deep understanding, and the kind of relationships that we need to build for continuity of care, that takes time. And complex decision-making takes time. And we'll certainly talk a little bit more about um, Mr. Schwartz's life, but I think you're right about the time because in my experience, for example, in the intensive care unit, there's sometimes where you have very, very little time in a very, very you know, intense emotional situation talking to a patient's family. And I have seen it done and, and, and I think done it both well and probably poorly mm. where you, you, you can tell where you can see the person in front of you mm. and you can see what they're going through and you can connect with it and they immediately they change recognizing mm-hmm. that that you are talking to really talking to them mm-hmm. uh, and, and i think that's what happened in this story is that mm-hmm. this nurse was didn't you know didn't really see him until that clicked and yep. then suddenly she saw oh my god right. this person's in front of me right so it takes a lot of different kinds of skills and things that have to be aligned that we should be teaching in medical school mm-hmm. and training i mean first of all have you ever been taught about really a lot about nonverbal communication no did you know that like 90% of patient satisfaction is linked to wow. nonverbal communication? Yeah. You know, it's incredible. We're taught communication skills. Are we taught how to listen? There's so many things that I think we actually should be teaching people that we haven't paid enough attention to. And, you know, there are many more things I could, I could talk about that I, I think are important. I mean, that whole notion of how do you gauge that that distance space between compartmentalization opening up that Mm -hmm. ability to recognize to emotionally resonate without becoming flooded and overwhelmed so how do you sustain that part of yourself that is really the meaning of humanity and and be able to do it all the time i think it's a real skill that has to be teased out it has to be practiced it has to be commented upon and it has to be mulled over we need to develop sort of this mindful awareness of what it is and and where we are as we move between emotional resonance and compartmentalization it's a fascinating topic now go ahead and and I, i do think that without that that resonance with it you know if you're really stuck in this compartmentalization i think for all of us it's just a matter of time before we get burnt out. We've talked a lot about burnout on the I show. I think that's right. Without that resonance, you, I think, lose a lot of the meaning in your work. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, the brain neural circuitry is different. If you tell somebody to resonate with another person's painful experience, the part of the brain that lights up is the empathy for pain mm-hmm. network. It's, you know, I know you probably know this. It's anterior insula, cingular cortex, and things like that. Um, but if you teach people to practice compassion for others, uh, loving kindness, uh, open friendliness, attentiveness, uh, a whole different part of the brain starts to become activated, and it has to. It involves the reward circuitry mm. of the brain, which is so interesting. So there have been experiments, just very early, you know, preliminary experiments, where people have been taught emotional resonance as compared with compassion cultivation and different non-overlapping parts of the brain are activated and if you imagine yourself in the shoes of someone else's you know painful situation you can generate empathy but it also can generate personal distress and the desire to Mm. detach and to avoid whereas if you teach walking alongside not walking in the shoes walking alongside Mm. And loving kindness or compassion for others, 
it generates positive emotions. Wow. So I've started to think, well, hey, you know, maybe compassion is all about burnout prevention. And it's about avoiding personal distress. So maybe we shouldn't be teaching people, imagine yourself in someone else's place. No, no. Maybe we should say, what do you need to do to understand what the world looks like through their point of view, through their eyeballs and emotions? It's a really different thing, and it, it requires different kinds of skills. It requires different kind of communication skills, too. But don't you think that's interesting? That's amazing. Yeah. And it's very easy to, to think about once you say it that clearly because if we we feel the burden of putting ourselves into, into people's shoes as yeah. you would over and over again because it's hard. We see so much suffering. But it's very different to take a step back and say, I'm with this person rather than I am this person. Yes. It's so small, but it's so critical. Mm-hmm. You know, you get getting back to the family meeting in the ICU... Um, a really fantastic critical care doc that I admire greatly in my hospital taught me something uh, to say in family meetings. And you probably have heard this, but, you know, families get hung up on what they want, uh, and then they feel this tremendous guilt because they feel like they're, you know, have all the burden of making a decision. What he Mm -hmm. says is, okay, you know, imagine your loved one sitting in that chair right next to you This conversation is all about what would he say to us if he could speak? You know him far better than we do. What would he say? And it lifts the burden off of the family because it's really, you know, trying to imagine what somebody else would feel. It's walking alongside, you know, instead of saying walking, you know, Mm -hmm. walking, walking this person's shoes. For more information on the Schwartz Center and their efforts to increase the practice of compassionate care, visit theschwartzcenter.org. You can also download previous installments in this series as well as podcasts of all past episodes. Just search the iTunes store for Radio Rounds or visit radiorounds.org. In addition, you can contact our team via email, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. All of that information at radiorounds.org. Production made possible in part by MedPlus Advantage, sponsored by the American Medical Association, providing group disability and life insurance to students and residents through participating educational institutions. Visit us at medplusadvantage.com. AMA Insurance is pleased to introduce an individual disability insurance plan called Essentials for MedPlus Advantage Participants. Through this plan, eligible graduating medical students have a special one-time opportunity to apply for high-quality individual disability insurance, with no intrusive or time-consuming medical exams and only a few basic questions, all with discounted premiums. Apply now as the enrollment period ends soon. Of course, please remember, the views and opinions expressed on Radio Rounds are not representative of the views and opinions of the partners of Radio Rounds. Thanks so much for joining us, everyone, and have a great week. For our entire staff here at Radio Rounds, I'm Eddie Breyercheck, and one day, I'll be your doctor.